Our sermon passage today comes from Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We come to you believing that as we are gathered, your spirit is both in your people and among us. We come believing that you will hear our prayers and that you are eager to answer them. Lord, as we pray this morning, the word on the forefront of my mind is gospel. Good news. Hope that sinners are forgiven, renewed, restored, and welcomed into the family and the kingdom of God. So Lord, I pray over this congregation today that you would fill us with hope because of the good news of Jesus. I pray over and for and with this congregation that those of us who are stuck in sin, stuck in rebellion, stuck in neutral, that by your Spirit you would forgive us and move us forward and give us spiritual breakthrough for your glory. I pray that those of us who are hurting emotionally, hurting physically, hurting spiritually, would this morning meet the love and the care and the nurture of Jesus Christ and be filled and warmed and comforted. I pray for those who are facing the physical reality of death and decay and illness. And I pray that you would give healing and restoration and renewal. And Lord, I pray over this room that you would break us free from any remaining pharisaical tendencies where we judge our standing with you based on our performance. And I pray that you would build in us gospel identity where our hope is found in Christ, our forgiveness is found in Christ. 
Our righteousness is not found so much in what we do, but what Christ has done for us. Our confidence to pray and to cry out is not based on how today is gone, but based on the confidence that you never change. And Lord, in light of the passage that we're looking at today, I pray for families. Pray for healing, preservation, renewal, repentance, Love, mercy, and compassion to reign. Lord, looking over a room of this size, I'm aware that I only know the tip of the tip of the iceberg of what's really going on in our lives and our minds and our hearts. Lord, I'm confident that you know it all and that you care about it all and that you're eager to pour out your blessing all the way down. So Lord, I pray that you would take my feeble human attempts to speak your truth today, that you would do something supernatural. I pray you would cause your word and your truth to resound in us, to bring us to repentance where necessary. To change our hearts where necessary. To give us an enduring vision of your goodness and your mercy and your kingdom. This we pray today for the glory of Jesus. Amen. I want to thank you all for being with us today. If you're our guest this morning, I thank you so much for being here. I encourage you. Uh, to take a Bible and turn uh, to the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, which Beth just read for us. Um, What we do here at Redeemer is we work through books of the Bible, and so today we're in chapter 13, and um, we're really slowing down. We've really been kind of going one verse at a time, and so today we're actually going to look at chapter 13, verse 4, which means today that I'm going to talk about marriage. Which means today that I very much feel like a barefooted man walking across a lake filled with alligators. Um, And the reason I feel that way is because there's a huge truth to speak about this morning. God made marriage for God's world, for God's glory, and it matters to God. And yet... I am keenly aware how often we as pastors and church leaders talk about this topic in a way that tramples the souls of others. So let me just tackle all those head on right out of the gate if I can. I am aware that when pastors like me get up and talk about God's vision for marriage, that some of you are single and you are often talked to like you're a half person. And that is untrue. It's not biblical. Every person made in the image of Jesus with the faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwelling within is whole in Christ. And so I don't want to per, per accidentally 
come across as if I'm suggesting that my single brothers and sisters are somehow lacking because you're not. And frankly, most of the New Testament, including where we get most of our marriage theology, was written under inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a single man. So there's that. Second, I'm aware that when we talk about God's vision for marriage, we often just boil it down to sexual purity. True love waits and then everything's good. And let me just tell you, that's not helping anybody. Because the vision of marriage is way more than physicality. It's way more than our bodies. And we're not serving anybody if we let it be reduced to that. Third, I'm aware that when Christians talk about marriage, we resort to pharisaical works righteousness, which means we act like our past right choices elevate us above others. And that's just not true. Some of us in this room checked all the boxes of morality leading right up into our marriage. And maybe most of you are better husbands and wives than I ever could be. Others in this room made a train wreck of our singleness. We made a train wreck of our movement into marriage. And maybe we're even really bad spouses. But the vision of marriage is not about our performance. It's about the God who redeems and restores and helps sinful people not kill each other. And I think people need to hear that. And some of you are here today not wanting to stay married. And I don't want to demean the hurt and the pain that you feel. And yet I want to call you to something that God values. And some of you are here today having been married and no longer married. And I would say to you that the sum total of your worth in the kingdom of God is not your marital past. And so those are all the alligators that I don't want to get frustrated. I love you. You matter to me and to this church and to the kingdom because of what Jesus did for you. Not because of your past and not because of what happened in the car on the way here this morning. Or didn't happen. I just assume that most families fight on the way to church. Since I'm a pastor, me and my wife, we come in separate cars because I have to be here like 745. So we never fight on the way to church. So we're like inherently more holy than all of you guys. Um, and that's a joke because that's not true. I mean, the coming in separate cars thing is, but the more holy part, it's just not true. So I don't want to wound anyone today. I don't want to heat more coals on a wounded spirit. And yet, this passage gives us a clear vision and a clear calling, and I can't not say what it says. So, here we go. I'm not, even after the first service, I'm still not sure how well this plays out in the end. So, I, if, if I can, let me just put my love out there. I'm saying this with as much love as I can muster. And I know repentance doesn't work like this, but if I can pre-repent for all the ways that I might wound you in the next few minutes? Like, I really don't want to. I really, really don't want to, okay? I know that's not how it works, but I just want you to hear my spirit here, okay? Now, what's going on 
in Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, which, which Beth just read for us, is that the author of Hebrews is teaching us how to live as worshiping citizens of the kingdom of Jesus. And so, verse 1 is a command. Verse 2 is a command. Verse 3 is a command. Verse 4 has two commands. We're going to look at those today. Verse 5 is a command. There's two of them there as well. And each of these commands are showing us what it looks like to live as citizens of the kingdom. And so what we're going to see today is that marriage, the idea of marriage, the ethics of marriage, and if you are married, your marriage matter to God and matter to God's kingdom. They matter. God cares. And as I said already, I'm going to say it again, this message is not just for married people. It's for single people. It's for divorced people. It's for widowed people. It's for people that long to be married and people who never desire to be married because God has intentionally set them on a path towards singleness. This marriage is for all of us. Not just marriage, this passage, this truth, this reality is for all of us. But what we will see is that marriage, its idea, the idea of marriage, the ethics of marriage, and your marriage matter to God and matter to His kingdom. So the first point, if you want to take notes, is kingdom life and love. And this is my third attempt at this, and so maybe by the time we finish the whole thing, I'll finally get this, get this right. But, but Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, really fall under the umbrella of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so what these two verses are saying is that everyone who belongs to Jesus, that's everyone who has come to faith in Christ and is a part of his church, we're also a part of his kingdom. And the kingdom of Jesus is this invisible thing that he's doing throughout the whole world where he's bringing people under and into his realm to do his work, and it's going to grow and grow and grow. And it says that his kingdom cannot be shaken, which means literally, and you can read this in verses 25, 26, and 27, everything else will be shaken. It'll be sifted away. And what will last is the kingdom of Jesus. And so the invitation is, children of the king, use our lives, our words, our actions, our families, our resources, our everything for the work of the king in the here and now, because everything invested in the kingdom now, it's going to last forever. Everything invested in the kingdom now, the fruit of that will endure the sifting. It'll endure the shaking. It will not pass away. So each week, I'm trying to show ways to compel us that it matters that we live for the kingdom. And if I can just be a bit biographical, I hope that's okay. I got word last night that a dear friend has a pretty aggressive form of cancer. And it shook me deep. And so I'm standing in my bathroom this morning crying like a two-year-old. And I just started thinking about the kingdom. And I started thinking about, man, this could all go away. And it could all go away quickly. 
And we just assume, like, oh, I'm 40. I got a good 40 more years. I'll get it together sometime. I'll start living for what matters at some point. You know, I'll get my kids out of the house, and then we'll be the good, happy, empty nesters who can do great things for the kingdom or, or whatever. And I'm just like, no, this is the day. Today is. This is the day to say Jesus is everything and his kingdom is what matters most. And I don't want to play around. And I don't want to invest in the things that are going to get shaken away. Man, this is the day. So one hard phone call has shaken me to say, man, I am grateful for a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I'm grateful that my friends are part of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. But I want to invest in the stuff that can't be shaken. And so the good news is Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, it tells us the stuff that won't be shaken. It says that brotherly love is building, is, is Jesus doing something through his people that will last? It says that hospitality towards strangers is Jesus doing something through his people, inviting people into his kingdom that will last. It says that remembering those who are in prison, who are suffering for the kingdom as though we were suffering for the kingdom, it'll last. And then in this strange, mysterious way, it says that honoring marriage and and, and using our marriages to be as pure and honoring to the Lord as we possibly can in some way In a mysterious way, that's an investment in the kingdom that will last. And then it says to keep your life free from the love of money and to be content with what you have is a way to live for the kingdom. These things are the work of the kingdom. It doesn't have to be mysterious and it doesn't have to be difficult to think, what does God want from me? He wants these things from us. He wants us to live this way. And he sent his spirit to help us. So let's do that. And so that leads to the second point, five loves are five commitments, are five postures of the person who wants to live for the kingdom. And I just kind of ran through those, but the first one is love God's people. We looked at that two weeks ago. The second one is love strangers. We looked at that last week. The third one is love our suffering brothers and sisters. Love Christians suffering for the kingdom. Maybe a better way to say it would be love the kingdom citizens who are suffering because they belong to the kingdom. And we looked at that two weeks ago kind of as a subset of brotherly love. Today, the pastor says love marriage. And next week it's going to say love contentment. So basically, I got some good news for you. In the next two Sundays, we're going to meddle in your marriage and your wallet. Welcome to Redeemer. But actually, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit who authored Hebrews. But I remember when my wife and I were going through marriage counseling, the dear brother who did our marriage counseling, he said, look, let me just tell you, 90% of your fights are going to be about your sexuality and your money. You know what? He underestimated. You know why that's the case? You follow a man's desires and his passions and you'll find what he worships. And at the core of a lot of that is our sexuality and our money. And so really all these passages are saying is that all that belongs to Jesus too. There's not an element of us that doesn't belong to Christ. So this passage says, hold marriage and honor among all and let the marriage med be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And so today we're going to look at love marriage. So let's define some terms and let's walk through this together. 
First, the passage is talking about marriage. So it says, let marriage. And so when the scripture talks about marriage, it is talking about one man and one woman as they were created by God in a covenant relationship with one another for a lifetime. When the scripture talks about marriage, it's talking about one man and one woman as created by God in a covenant relationship with one another for a lifetime. You know what's funny? Is if I would have preached this sermon in 2010, I wouldn't have even defined marriage. I just would have said marriage. But we're going to pause for a moment. We're going to do just a little bit of biblical theology because of where we live and the place where we live. But the Bible's very clear. Marriage was God's idea. And it was not just God's idea for Christians. It was not just God's idea for his people. It was God's idea for his world. Because marriage entered the world before the fall. It entered the world before sin entered the world. It was part of God's good and perfect creation. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 2. I'm not going to force you there this morning. But in Genesis 2, we're told that God created man named Adam. And he gave him domain and dominion over everything that God had made. And, and Adam named all of the things, but, but there was none to be a suitable helper, a suitable companion for Adam. And so God put Adam in a deep sleep. And out of the rib of Adam, God made woman Eve. And then the scripture says, for this reason, you shall leave your father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. And so what happens there in Genesis 2 is it says, God created marriage and he pushed it out for everyone. God's idea of marriage was for all humanity. Second, I wish I had like all day to kind of tease this out. You guys that love biblical theology, you're like, wait, 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 you're just teasing me. Give me more, but I'm just gonna give you what I can here. Marriage was not only God's idea for his world, but marriage was God's idea for displaying his covenant love to the world. Marriage was God's idea for displaying his covenant love to the world. So we read in Ephesians 5, most particularly, that what's going on in marriage is actually this mysterious way of God displaying the relationship of Christ the Savior and his church, those who are forgiven, and the Bible uses marriage language of groom and bride to explain the relationship of Christ and his church. And it goes so far as we read earlier from Revelation 19 to talk about the heavenly feast and the heavenly celebration to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where what matters most is that we're invited to this celebration. And so Paul, the apostle in Ephesians chapter 5 says that in marriage, not only was it God's idea, but it's a way to display love and mercy and forgiveness in such a way that it pictures to the world who doesn't know Christ what Christ's love looks like. So Ephesians 5, 31 through 33, 
It's going to start by quoting Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So get this. Paul says, verse 31, marriage was God's idea. And there's this mystery, verse 32, where marriage is intended to picture Christ in the church. So what do we do with that? Verse 33, we love one another well because we understand that what's going on in our marriage isn't just about us. And it's not just about our happiness. And it's not just about our fulfillment. And it's not just about whether or not you complete me and I complete you. What's going on in marriage is the furthering of God's idea of what is good and right and best for God's world in a way that brings honor to the saving grace of God. So when the Bible talks about marriage, that, that's all there. And I think that's why this is in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. So we're talking about marriage. Second, we're talking to everybody. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And that's an interesting understanding, right? Like, like he's not just talking to married people. So sometimes in Scripture, all doesn't mean all because there's a context to it. But in this instance, I think all does mean all. And he's saying, let God's institution of marriage be held in honor by everybody. So what that means, first and foremost, those of us who are married, we're called to hold the institution in honor above our feelings, our emotions, and our happiness. But it also means that for those who are single, those who are divorced, those who are separated, those who are widowed, there's a way to live in which marriage is honored by us also. So it's important for us to understand that God's talking to everybody here, okay? So if you're here today and you're not married, let marriage be held in honor is still a word for all of us, okay? So honor, third, honor. Honor, that's the command. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Now, I am not a Greek scholar, I'm not going to pretend to be, but I hang out with people who are, and I read books about people who are. And by the way, that's what, that's what most pastors do. We just hang out with people who know more than we do and, and read books about people who know more than we do. But, but the Greek language is a little bit superior to English in that it, it, it's, frankly, most languages are a little bit superior to English, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, man, you know, one time I was in a grocery store down in South Nashville where a lot of Hispanic people live. And there were like 12 Hispanic kids running around this grocery store and like throwing candy around. And I didn't realize they all belonged to this one lady. But she turned around from the cash register and she said, Vominos! And they like, like flooded into line. And I was like, our language doesn't afford us a word like that. <laughs> you guys, hey, all y'all, could, if you could please come over here and be a little quiet. Like, like we, need, we need a word, right? So our language is inferior, okay. We're back. That was a tangent. Sorry. Trust me, this message can use a little levity, so I'm going to go ahead and start that now, okay? Um, 
But the Greek language has a particular way to shine a flashlight on a particular word. It's the way the word order is and the way the word is. And the the sentence here, let marriage be held in honor, the flashlight is on the word honor. Okay, so the flashlight in the sentence is on the word honor. So as you read it, if you understand Greek, which none of us do, but those who do would tell us, is honor would be like the highlighted word here, okay? So as you're reading this, it would be like, Honor all of you marriage. Or let all of you honor marriage. Honor is the the word here. And so honor simply means esteemed, held high, valued, um, understood to be the weighty thing that it is. And so... What this passage seems to be saying is that it would be God's intent that all of us, no matter our status in life, no matter our past faithfulness or past unfaithfulness, no matter how much we currently like or dislike our spouse, all of us would be called to honor the institution of marriage as something that is good, that is healthy, that is right, that is better, and it matters to God. That seems to be the implication of this passage. And so I'm just simply passing that on to you. It would be good and right and glorifying to God, and might I add, helpful to your marriage if you are married, to elevate the institution of marriage and honor it for for what it is, a gift that is good and holy, and glorifies God, and matters deeply to Him. So married people, like we're on the, we're like, we're right on the chopping block here, right? Like, think about the last seven days of your life, and how much of the tension is rooted in you trying to be completed and find fulfillment, rather than elevate the institution and the gift and the blessing that God has given you. Not to mention to love and serve your spouse, but we'll come to that in a few minutes. So the calling here is that we who are married would honor the institution more than we honor what we get out of it. Those of you who are single, I'm going to say again what I said earlier because I don't think the church can say it too many times. You are not incomplete because you're not married or don't have a boyfriend slash girlfriend. You're not unwhole. You're not a half person. And yet somehow we portray that. But that also means that as those who are not married, we don't have to begrudge the institution. We can find our contentment in Jesus and still hold up the institution. And that's the tension that I think this passage would call a single person to Those of you who are separated or divorced or widowed, our experience in marriage doesn't have to define the purpose or the wholeness or the solemnity of the institution. The institution was created by God and our experience of that institution doesn't have to define its meaning or its value or its purpose. 
So the separated and the divorced and the widowed likewise can elevate and esteem and honor the institution of marriage. And those of you who are struggling in your marriage right now, I do not want to belittle your struggle. But I want to say that a first step for all of us in the marriage relationship is to honor the institution and to understand that the institution is bigger than us. And to understand that the institution matters deeply. God. Now, before we leave this first command, let marriage be held in honor, I want to put something in context here. Let marriage be held in honor is kind of really a subset of verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. So let brotherly love continue by letting marriage be held in honor might be one way to say that. So for those of us who are married, and particularly those of us who are struggling in marriage, hear me clearly. The command, let brotherly love continue, that applies to your spouse. That applies to your spouse. I'm called to love my wife as my sister in Christ and as my unique bride in Christ. But that means all those biblical commands, like love one another, be long-suffering with one another, serve one another, forgive one another, care for one another as Christ has loved, served, and forgiven you. Guess what? If that applies from me to all the dudes in this room, it most certainly and most particularly applies from me toward my wife. And so I know I don't want to make light of our struggles. I don't want to belittle our struggles. I don't want to certainly belittle things like abuse and adultery and trampling of covenant. But I just think for many of us, a first step of saying, I'm going to hold the institution high. And then a second step of, I'm never going to give to my spouse anything less than the brotherly love that the Bible would call me to the whole church. I think that really catapults most of us forward. And then we can get into our particular struggles. There's a, there's a second command. And in this one, the author is clearly speaking to those who are married. But there's certainly implication for everyone. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress. So the second command is let the marriage bed be undefiled. So, guys, gals, we're in mixed company. We have five-year-olds and up in here, and I'm really aware of that, so I'm going to speak vaguely and use terms like sexuality and sexual ethics and let you guys fill in the gaps here, okay? But what this verse is saying is that the expression of sexuality is for the marriage bed and such purity matters to God. Eugene Peterson interprets the passage this way. God draws a firm line against casual or illicit sex. So there's a command, let the marriage bed be undefiled. And so on one level, 
And on the most obvious level, this would say to all of us, don't settle for cheap replacements to marital intimacy. Don't settle for cheap replacements to marital intimacy within the marriage covenant. Pornography, usage, adultery, and a whole host of similar activities would be settling for cheap replacements to sexuality expressed within the marriage covenant. So if you're here today and you're married, hear this clearly. For the sake of the glory of Jesus, for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus, for the good of your marriage and for the good of your soul, keep the marriage bed pure, which means don't settle for cheap replacements to sexuality within the covenant of marriage. If you're here today and you're not married for whatever reason, this passage would say, let the marriage bed be undefiled, which means preserve expressions of sexuality for the covenant of marriage. It remains undefiled by not settling for such replacements because those replacements for our single and divorced and widowed and separated friends are likewise cheap and they likewise eat away at the soul. And that's why we get this warning God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous, just meaning those who are habitually and perpetually failing to honor the marriage bed and showing that they don't walk in repentance before the Lord, the Lord takes this stuff seriously. How we use our bodies matters to the Lord. So first... Let the marriage bed be undefiled speaks to how we physically express intimacy and sexuality. But second, and I think this is a really important message for us to hear, and this is where you're going to go from loving this sermon to wishing I would shut up, and I'm going to keep going. If we want to keep the marriage bed undefiled, it's important that we don't reduce intimacy to sex. It's important that we don't reduce love to sex. It's important that we understand that the love and the oneness and the unity that we're called to in marriage is, yes, physical, but far more than physical. So we're called to physical oneness and fidelity, but we're also called to emotional oneness and fidelity. We're also called to spiritual unity. We're called to honor the person more than the act. We're called to see the act of sexuality as a gift of celebration within our marriage rather than the totality of our marriage. And often the way we disciple young people about sexuality is wait, wait, wait until you get married and then get, get, get. And I think we're doing everyone a disservice when we talk about marriage like that. The reality is marriage is a calling to love someone wholly and fully as your brother or sister in Christ. And physical expressions of that are one piece of that intimacy. And we got to go for the whole thing. And I think in that way, the marriage bed is most honored and most rightly celebrated. I'm going to say this and just leave it for you, and then we're going to move on. 
But as we wrestle with what it means to love well and to love the whole person, we must understand that two quadriplegics can have a full and whole marriage. And I'll let you talk about that over lunch. So in some cultures, we should say, don't minimize sexuality, keep the marriage bed pure. Don't minimize sexual intimacy, engage in it within marriage. But in our overly sexualized culture, my thing today is understand that love and unity and wholeness is way more than physical acts. And frankly, I think that's the best way that we fight against cheap replacements. So I want to end this sermon this way. Marriage is a gift from God that really is not about how good we are and the wise choices that we make. I think marriage is a wise choice. But marriage is God bringing two people together to display love, mercy, and forgiveness because we all need Forgiveness, mercy, and love. The gospel's displayed in our marriage not because it's easy peasy, white, and beautiful, but because in spite of us, we forgive and love and are merciful and gracious and carry on, and that's the gospel that's being displayed. So for the kingdom, let marriage be held in honor. Let the marriage bed be pure. And for all of us, our sexuality and our sexual past is not the sum total of who we are. Our relationship to Jesus is everything. Let's believe that more than we believe anything else. And let's go live for his kingdom. So now our Father and our God, as I prayed before this sermon, I've only spoken to the tip of the tip of the iceberg. but you're at work all the way down. So I pray that you would do what is good and right and just and merciful for your people today. And I pray you would do something amazing. If there's anyone here who is far from you, particularly separated from you, I pray that you would give the gift of repentance and faith today. If one of your children here is too ashamed to lift their head up, I pray that you would free them to know that you have separate, taken their sin and thrown it as far as the east is from the west. You would give grace. And I pray that you would cause all of us to long much more for the marriage supper of the Lamb that will last forever 
than we long for anything in this world, including our own marriages. So congregation, as we do each week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Bread symbolizing the body of Jesus broken for us. Juice symbolizing the blood of Jesus poured out for us. Take, eat, and drink. It's a declaration of our hope in Christ and our commitment to pursue his kingdom above all else. Here at Redeemer Church, we invite anyone who's a Christian, anyone who's repented of sin and come to faith in Jesus and made that known to the church, we invite you to take this bread and this cup with us. If you're not a Christian, I would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass, but that today you would consider the Savior. And if you're considering him, would you come and talk to me? You're one of the people on stage, one of these men passing out the bread and the cup. We'd love to help point you to Christ today. So we're going to sing. They're going to pass out the bread. They're going to pass out the cup. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.